When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Equity of up to one hundred and fifty million pounds. You're on the theatre, fun. You're here to win games. We want to try to reduce this gap. I think that uh, a good team has to be good. Welcome into the Tottenham Depot. I am your host, Andrew. It is episode 101, and it is going to be just about as angry and upset as episode 100. <laughs> you can follow me at Stedka. You can follow us at Tottenham Depot. And Caroline is alongside to break down what was um, a roller coaster ride of a match on Thursday against Manchester City, a 4 2 defeat at the Etihad. Kaz, what's going on with you? Uh, not much. You know, we, we were talking before we started recording about how every game against city seems to be like a tennis match, yeah. you know, this back and forth and just, I feel like I experienced every emotion leading up to that game during the game after the game. So there's a lot to talk about. There really is a lot to talk about. We, we, yeah. I brought up tennis. I was the one that brought up tennis. You're not a tennis fan at all, right? You, you don't really follow the sport whatsoever. I'm a Super novice. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a novice tennis fan, but many people this week have been watching this new uh, documentary series on Netflix called Breakpoint. Um, right before we started recording, I was watching kind of the tail end of it and, and you know, talking to you about how tennis, yeah, is one of those sports where things can really turn on a dime. Um, a player can have a big lead or be playing really, really well or be really strong. And then all of a sudden something can, a level can drop, momentum can shift. Tennis is one of those weird sports that is like that. And that was exactly what this match was against Manchester City uh, on Thursday. Um, you know, coming, you mentioned too, coming into this match, the emotions and the feeling among Spurs fans and among Coy's Twitter type of people was extremely negative, obviously. It was, um, you know, even when we saw the lineup, it was like, oh, Emerson Royale is at right wing back. Cool. Um, it's nice to have Bentoncourt back, but. A lot of people might have expected to see Sonny on the bench and maybe give Richarlison in a chance. Some people out there, I'll, I'll, I'll cop, I'm one of them, really would not have expected to see Hugo Lloris in this match, the captain of this club. They would have expected yeah. maybe a game on the bench for him for Frazier Forster. But instead, we get what is kind of a fairly standard lineup, I guess, from, from this club. And I guess, take me through, before we get really dive into the game, take me through your emotions in terms of when you saw that lineup uh, and, and everything beforehand and leading up to it? Well, I think when I saw the lineup, part of me was surprised that Hugo and Son were both still in the lineup just because it, it seems like anyone who's been watching the team could tell you they've not been informed, you know, they're not contributing. And at the same time, we've also been discussing 
what a stubborn manager Conte can be. So it, it, it wasn't surprising in that sense. You know, it kind of felt like this was yet another instance of Conte on his sort of, you know, power trip trying to prove to the board, like, I don't have the pieces that I need. Um, and if that was his strategy, he was successful today, but, or, or on, uh, on Thursday, I should say, but yeah, it it didn't fill me with a ton of confidence that we could put in a, a complete 90 minute performance, I think was, was my issue. And you know, I, I always want to support the team and hope for a win. I'm not someone who's going to actively hope for a loss to get, you know, some sort of outcome, like having a manager sacked. But at the same time, like, I don't think I was feeling confident. Well, you, what, what reason would you have to be? I mean, after after last Sunday against Arsenal in the North London Derby, you even said something in our group chat, I believe it was on Monday, that uh, I think the first thing you put in our group chat Monday morning was that you half expected to have woken up and 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 seen Conte sacked, which I don't think I was to that point. I, th- I think I think there's still a little bit more, um, I don't know, film on this reel, if you will. I think there's still a little more time to go here with this, but it does. It, there is a, a a certain faction of the fan base right now that I guess feels as if Conte's time is is all but his days are all but numbered and it's we're just playing this out and then there's a certain faction that feels like and i think this is where i fall for the most part still is that if he wants to commit commit like that that's where we're at commit and 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 dig your heels in um we're gonna get to a few things that i you know a few notes that i took throughout the day um of the match and 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 kind of some things i was thinking about um and i want to get your opinion on them but you know, even before we do that, like, let's let's just talk about the way that this match played out, because the first I'd say 30 minutes of it, 35 minutes were, were really dull. I mean, eat from both ends. City City wasn't really producing much. Uh, Spurs were not really producing much of anything. It was, I thought, actually kind of good on Spurs part, just from a defensive standpoint. They weren't allowing many um you know, super, super intense uh, offensive chances for, for City. Uh, Erling Haaland was was fairly quiet, to be perfectly honest, which I, I did not expect. I totally expected him to just uh, run over the center backs that, that Spurs had out there. Um, but it, it was it was all pretty, pretty good for about 30 or 35 minutes. And then in like the 10 minutes or so before halftime, City started to, to really push forward and get some chances. But... <laughs> The craziest thing is the two goals that come before half from Spurs and it they're just they're completely out of nowhere. And I was I was shell shocked. And and I think that City was shell shocked. I think I think everyone inside the stadium was shell shocked. It was just so against the run of play that I didn't really know what to do with myself at halftime. Yeah, it's funny because I think, you know, we talked about the very slow start to the game. And I think we can attribute that to the fact that both both teams were coming off, you know, kind of humiliating Derby losses. They didn't want to be the first team to, to goof up and make a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was ironic that then our first gift was, I mean, let's be honest, a, a complete gift from Ederson. Um, yeah. You know, we, we were expecting Hugo to be the one to make a, another howler. And that was really surprising from him because, I, you know, I think he's easily one of the better keeper in the, keepers in the league. Especially, um, with, especially with his feet, like playing the ball out. I mean, he, he's, he's yeah, very, that's very one of his strengths defense. usually. Yeah. And even the second goal, you know, felt like it had an element of luck to it. 
I think it's fair to say, although, you know, Harry Kane making that sort of offensive slide tackle, that was quite a sight to behold. Yeah. Um, but I, I just felt like, you know, I was happy that we had the lead, especially so close to halftime, you know, we could regroup at half and <clears throat> try to figure out a way to build on that in the second half. But at the same time, I'm like, this feels too good to be true. Like this does not, not feel sustainable. I will fully disclose to the listening audience and to uh, I, I, I don't, I did disclose this to, to the group chat I, at halftime. I, I placed a little uh, wager of American dollars on city to at least come back and get a point. And I won that bet because that's, that's how confident I was. I did not trust the two no lead. It was, like I said, completely against the run of the play. And I got good odds on that bet. So I'll just, you know, I'm not pleased about that. I'm not happy about it. I was rooting against it, but I, just for my own financial uh, stake in it, I thought, you know, this, this seems like the smart side to be on. Um, I'm going to get ripped apart by, by Spurs fans for that. And I don't care. That's, that, that's fine. Um, you're, to your point though, it just came completely out of nowhere. Spurs for the match created 0.81 XG. So less than a goal and scored twice. The the two goals uh, combined for like a, about a quarter of that XG. And those were goals. Like they were, they were decent, you know, obviously decent chances. They went in the net. Um, the Emerson one was the really just the one that, that kind of, uh, what else do you say? I mean, we're all, not pleased with what Emerson Royale can do as a right wing back. Um, and of course he's going to play in this match and you're going to think, what the hell are we doing? And then he happens to, to put one in the back of the net and, and took it really well, by the way, like it, it was way better than the, the 30 some odd yard shot that he, that he fired into, you know, the second tier at the stadium um, in, in a different part of the match. But it, it was just, at halftime, I did not know. I, I literally, I walked downstairs in my house, made myself a a sandwich, and <laughs> came back upstairs and had no idea really what to expect for the second half. Um, I certainly didn't expect two goals within the first 10 minutes of the second half to immediately tie the match. Um, I definitely thought it would take a little bit more time than that. Um, there's... <laughs> There's four goals in this city second half that I I just, I don't even, th there's not even really a point to break each one of them down because they're all just complete calamities. They're all just, you know, we hear individual airs FC, we hear all, all the different things. Really the story of this match was that, that, that Riyad Mahrez just decided to take it over and had an assist in two goals in the second half. And, you know, Alvarez and Halan get the other two goals and it's just, City, City, I guess, needed a kick in the ass. And that's something else we're going to talk about, too, is, is the fact that Pep Guardiola, their coach, really did give them a kick in the ass post-match. But, like, it just felt – I'm not going to say it felt inevitable because when, when Spurs were up 2-0, it did feel kind of like, okay, maybe we can get a point here. I mean, look, we did the double over them last season. They were the champions, and we did the double over them. The Spurs have had success in the last – handful of seasons i mean going even going all the way back obviously to the champions league run that they made they've had success against this team there was at least there had to be at least a little bit of belief from folks and by the way if we go back and check all of your social medias uh you'll see that there was plenty of belief all of a sudden fans were like oh this is 
cool. Like we're up at the Etihad at, at half to two, two, two nil. What, what a treat. And then it just all came crashing down. Like what, you know, within 15, 20 minutes, the lead was gone and the hope was gone and the despair had set in. Yeah. That, and the heads had dropped, I think amongst the team. Uh, it was, it was quite a contrast to the games we've been having lately where, you know, the first half is a total write off. And then the second half is where they actually come alive and, you know, start to believe. And it was you know, the total opposite in this one. Um, which isn't to say that we we didn't have any chances in the second half. Um, it's just I don't know something something is just not gelling in the team right now. No, I mean I even think that there was a what was the the, the opportunity one somebody hit one from from outside that that I think hit the post and I think that was when the game was still tied. I mean there were definitely I think chances. it was Perisic. I think you might be right um, about that. Yes. And, and, and I know, mean, he kind of had, forward. he had an up and down game, you know, that was kind of reflective of our performance as a whole, I guess. Yeah. I think he had, I think he had mostly a down game. Honestly, Perisic was Perisic's performance was, was, was a little bit surprising for me from a defensive standpoint. And not that he is some kind of uh, defensive stalwart uh, as a wing back, but, I, I was really just, dis- this was maybe the worst I'd seen of Perisic, despite the, the one chance that maybe should have gone in. Uh, he was obviously subbed off in the 69th minute for Sessegnon. Uh, other subs saw Basuma come on for Bentancourt. Not that surprising there, Bentancourt coming off of, you know, the injury. And then Richarlison comes in in the 78th minute, along with Longley for Davis and uh, was it Royale? So, I'm I, let's let's talk about this for a second. I'm baffled that Hyungmin's son made another 90 minutes on the pitch in this match. There, we talked about this last week after the Arsenal match. It's it's okay to to call out the fact that Sonny is having a terrible season. I don't understand what Richarlison has to do at this point in order to get on the pitch before the 78th minute. That is right, and you know we want Richarlison to be playing on the left side when he comes in um and that that's not what we saw so that's frustrating in and of itself I feel like you know he, he's not getting to really show off his game and the limited appearances that he's had and with Sun you know I'm I'm not ready to write him off and say that he's never going to play well again because I think a lot of people are kind of exaggerating his age as being a factor you know he's I mean, he's not young anymore, but I don't think we should be seeing such a steep drop off from his performance last season. Um, I think it's more just down to like accumulated game time over the last few years. You know, he's he's not had a a ton of breaks. Um, And and some of that is from management, frankly. You know, we there have been times, you know, this season and last season that we we kept saying son needs a break. He needs the rest or he's going to run himself into the ground. And here we are. I think I, I look back at the summer too, when Spurs took the trip to South Korea and he was, he was a rock star. He was the man at the center of that entire preseason tour to South Korea, basically, you know, put on, put on the marquee. And I, I'm not saying that that's contributed to his season. That's not what I'm trying to imply, but, you know, coming off of a golden boot season, I think there would have been reasonable expectation for there to be some regression to the mean, but this has gone beyond that. This is, this is 
beyond regressing to the mean and this is like you know well well far past what what we would have thought that this would be um and i agree with you i i don't think he's i don't think he's finished as a player like i think that's way too an extreme of thing to say but there has to be i mean it, it is interesting to me that the one game that stands out from this season when he scored the hat trick against lester that one game he came off the bench it's like his best performance was in like a 30 minute spell off the bench and Conte just continues to run him out there as if he is undroppable. And part of the problem that this team and, and to your point that management has is you go out and you spend, you, you, you break your club transfer record in terms of paying a fee for a player like Richarlison, who is supposed to come in for this exact reason. And he has not now granted, he hasn't been utilized a lot because of injury. I'll give you that. But even in the moments when he's able to be utilized, he has not been utilized properly. And that's extremely, extremely frustrating to me. And I put a lot of that on, I put a lot of that on Antonio Conte, but it, it I feel like it all kind of rolls and goes a little higher than that as well. So I don't know. There's, there, there's, there's a definite frustration that goes into that whole thing for me. Um, I, I, it's hard to even point out like good performances versus bad performances. I do want to kind of carry us into some of these. These are the, I'm calling these the things I think P Peter King, who was a great NFL writer is a great NFL writer uh, for sports illustrated for many years. And now works for NBC used to do a column called things I think. And I used to kind of play off of that. So I'm kind of playing off of that with this as well. Um, you know, and it, and it starts with a player that we've already brought up in Hugo Lloris that just had another horrendous match i mean he had a horrendous match against arsenal last week he had a horrendous match against manchester city on thursday and caroline i have now reached a point with hugo Lloris where i'm not mad at hugo Lloris. i'm not i don't blame him for what has happened um i'm not upset in any way with this this guy who has given a lot to this club he's been the club captain for for so many years been with what has it been a decade now um, this guy has been a, a, a very good and loyal servant to this club. It's sad to see it go down like it's going down. The blame that I put for all of this happening is on the club. It's on management. Um, and that's not, it's not even specifically on Antonio Conte. It's on much higher than that. it's on the board really for not seeing that this could have happened because you can look back three, four years and see a path where this would be happening. And in the same way that we kind of blame the, the, the management of the club for not being able to have a plan to push players and put players in a position to have somebody, somebody as a backup chasing them down. I mean, we just talked about Sonny and, and Richarlison, for example. Sonny should be playing better considering he has a player like Richarlison sitting behind him ready to take his spot. It's not happening. But Hugo Lloris has never really had that guy behind him chomping at the bit to take his spot we kind of thought it might be Galini last year it that didn't work out in in any way shape or form before that it was what it was Michel Vorm and it was um Paulo Gazaniga uh this year it's Frazier Forster these are not guys that are gonna ever challenge Hugo Lloris for his starting spot and I get that there's a little bit of awkwardness in that he's the captain as well, but the board has really failed over the last four years to even challenge Hugo Lloris. And they've allowed this to happen. They've allowed this potential decline that could come with age, even though he's a goalkeeper. I know goalkeepers can often play into their forties maybe, but 
it's it was obvious to me that this was potentially on the table for the club and they've just let it get out of hand now. Yeah, I think with goalkeepers, it it can be a little difficult for them sometimes personally to know when it's time to take a step back. Um, you know, with with his France career, there was kind of this very obvious point for him to like hang up his gloves or I don't know what you say for goalkeepers. Um, yeah, you got it. <laughs> but, you know, it's like I, they only have a tournament, a major tournament every two years. So it's like, okay, am I really going to make it two more years? Probably not. It's time. But if, if you're talking about like the day-to-day of a club season, it can be much easier to rationalize to himself. Like I've still got something to give, you know, and, and, and it's not that he has nothing to give. We've seen that he is still capable of good saves. It's just, he cannot do it consistently anymore. Um, and we, we need someone who can be doing that week in and week out and not just like every five games. Um, so I do think the club ha- you know, has to take some responsibility for this because even in the summer when we signed Forster, it was kind of, you know, this is another aging keeper himself. This is not a long-term solution, uh, you know. So it's – and it's, it's an unfortunate situation to be in because he is the captain of the club. And, you know, you were kind of talking about having that competition behind you to – to spur you on and how that hasn't really worked with Sun either this season because Richarlison is not getting the game time. And I think part of that also comes down to Conte, you know, being really set on his preferred 11 and not making changes. So, you know, Hugo, he doesn't realistically think that Frazier is going to start. So why, why would he be feeling the pressure? I, I completely agree with you. Hugo Lloris just turned 36 in December. Um, it, it's it's done right like this this has to be his last season as a full-time starter with spurs right yeah for sure i don't i don't think we can if if we do go into the next season and he's still the number one option then i guess that's the point when you really do have to seriously ask what are the board thinking like what is the long-term plan here which that's that's a whole other subject we can talk about anyway but What's what's really incredible is that there are, are a number of names being being floated about for, for this month, which seems preposterous because there's what about two weeks left in the window. Um, I know David Raya is one of the big names being floated. I, I don't see the club doing that. I don't see them doing anything to 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 ruffle any feathers, which <laughs> they they probably should, but I don't see them doing that. Well, I think we don't have an expectation of that happening because they're also delaying other key decisions such as Conte's contracts. And there's, there's just so much uncertainty around the club period right now that it's, I don't think it's a good situation for the players to be in from a motivation perspective. I think it must be, you know, quite demoralizing to not know what the plan is, you know, long-term, you know, Conte is talking in his press conferences of, you know, I want to put in my vision and he, he doesn't really have a, a mandate, so to speak, to do that right now. So you, you've led you've, you've, you've led me perfectly into uh, bullet point number two in the things I think list. Um, Antonio Conte's lack of a contract to me right now is extremely puzzling because and I know that there's going to be a lot of debate about this as to whether or not Conte wants a contract, whether or not the club wants to give him a contract. 
But it seems to me that if the club wants him around, he should just sign a contract because if the club decides in six months or a year that they don't want him around, he'll have a contract and he can make all that money and still get paid. And it, it, he, the way, like you said, the way that he speaks in a press conference now is that he sees a vision. He sees along. It's not like he's done with this club. You, you don't hear him saying he's fed up and he doesn't want to be there anymore. Um, he wants to be there. He, at least for what he's saying, he wants to, he wants to improve the defense more than anything. Uh, he knows that he needs to go get new players and better players in order to do that. Um, but it sounds like something that he at least wants to do. And the, the contract thing to me is, is a little weird. And, you know, I guess I got to this place well before the city match, but I think Tottenham Hotspur are a football club that should no longer be of the mindset that they need to convince a manager to be the manager at Spurs. I, I think that they are a club that should have managers want to manage them and want to take them to the next level. And I'm still in a place, you know, there's this whole weird faction of, are you Conte in Conte out? And that's a very football slash soccer esque thing to do. You know, it's like, are you Hugo Lloris in or out? Like, come, come on. These aren't political parties we're dealing with here. I, I know. And I, you are Conte out and I get that. And that's fine. I'm not, I'm not digging anyone out for having feelings, but I, me personally, I just want some kind of commitment. And the baffling thing to me is the lack thereof. Like there's no commitment to a project. And we've talked a lot about the, the yin and yang between the board versus the manager and short-term versus long-term and micro versus macro. I just want a commitment to something, one or the other, or you can pull on both, but we've seen what pulling on both of those strings has gotten this club in the last four or five years, since really since Pochettino left even. No, I, I do agree that we just need clarity one way or another. Um, not just his fans, but I think the team itself, you know, I don't think the performances are really going to improve until we, we get this sorted out because, you know, it's, it's got to be tough to get fully behind a manager as a squad if you're not even sure he's going to be around, you know. I just, I just want the club to make a decision one way or another and like be all in on it. My, my personal feeling is that I don't want it to be Conte just because the more I think about it and it has taken up a disturbing amount of headspace for me over the past week. Um, it's just that, you know, I don't, I don't think he was ever a good fit at, le at least not for the, the squad that we have and that we're working with and that we have to build from because, you know, even if you go into this mindset of we're going to have a rebuild and, you know, burn everything down and start again, like you can't literally start from zero. It just doesn't work that way. Um, and I just don't think he's a good fit stylistically. Nothing that he's done over the past, you know, I guess it's a little over a season and a half maybe since he joined the club. Uh, nothing shows me that he is willing to be flexible that he's willing to adjust his tactics, you know, try something new, even like game to game within a game. Um, he's just so stubborn about everything. And I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm just kind of over it at this point. And I want us to get somebody in who, who's going to have the attitude that he doesn't need 
to buy a squad to be successful, that he can, he can improve players. And I'm not saying we don't need some new players. Like, I think that's undeniable. We just talked about Hugo needing to be replaced. Like those are cold, hard facts, but I, I just think it's not right to completely write off the entire squad and say, like, if I don't get this, this and that position in within this window, then sorry, the season's gone. We're not going to do anything. Top four is unrealistic. You know, all of that. I just, yeah, it's sorry. That was kind of a lot of, of a no, feeling that, that, that just came out, but <laughs> that's the, this is hopefully a little therapeutic uh, for folks listening to it. I, look, I, I think that, but I understand differences of opinion. I, I understand the arguments for Conte. I, I don't agree with them personally, but I understand them. And I think everyone's well, entitled to have their idea of how the club should be operating and, and all of that. I think the thing that frustrates me more than anything, and this is going to dovetail into my third thing that I think, um, and it's going to be a, a touch dark for, for a second, as, this, as if this podcast hasn't already been uh, dark enough, but I, I'm going to drag us here for just a second. I, I think that if Conte if the club moves on from Conte or Conte moves on from the club, regardless over the next handful of months. And and we like, let's just say for example, that we head into next season with a new manager, whoever that may be. And I, I don't really care to speculate right now as to who that would be, but I think that the next manager will have a very, very difficult time winning something as well, because we've already seen under Conte, this club try to do this push pull thing with, the win now and the win for the future. We saw them bring in, you know, Perisic and Richarlison. And I mean, those are just players for this year, but even last season, the Bentoncourt Kulisevsky uh, transfers that were made under Conte. We've seen those win now type of transfers, and they obviously have not all perfectly gelled to a win now type of team. Um, and, and that said, look, this club is not, I also want to like tap the brakes too. This club is not fighting relegation. This club is into the knockout stages of the Champions League. It is still in the FA Cup. There are still a lot of things to play this season. The season isn't over uh, in the middle of January. However, this club has also bought a number of pieces almost for the future under Conte, with, with a vision of Antonio Conte that I would like to see play out. Like, the idea of a Jed Spence, Destiny Odogi wingback combination is really exciting to me. The idea of, of Pape Matesar in the midfield running things like we've already seen from him in just a tiny little snippet of, of, of game time thus far, that's really exciting to me. The idea of, hell, if, if this all can kind of gel at some point, the idea of Kane and Richarlison and Kulisevsky and Bentoncourt all mixing it up and doing cool things. All of that sounds really great. You'll notice the one place I haven't really mentioned any hope or future for is in the center back spot. Like there's, I, I don't see anything there that's of a redeeming quality. I know people are going to like really hold up Christian Romero as being like potentially one of the best center backs in the league maybe, but I think the word potentially is using a, like doing a lot of work there. We need to see a lot more out of Christian Romero before we keep holding him up the way that we do, because honestly, Christian Romero is the best that Spurs have to offer in that position right now. And he's not near good enough either. Like that's, that's how bad it's gotten. 
Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I don't want it to, to come off like I'm not putting any responsibility on the players themselves because I, I think a lot of them need to take a look at themselves and ask themselves, you know, why they are not performing at the level that we know they're capable of. Um, you know, part of, part of that does come down to management, you know, motivation. He has to to get the players, you know, in the right mindset for games. But it's, it is frustrating, especially with a player like Romero, because I think he provided so much hope to us as fans in that second half of the season last year. Um, you know, I know in the, in the run-up to the last few games, he was injured and didn't play. But, you know, he was really instrumental in even getting us to the point where we could hope. Um, and so we know he's what he's capable of and, and for him to be sort of not up to the standard that we thought he was, the whole team is sort of trending downward in their performances. Um, that's a huge cause of concern for me and a big part of the reason why, you know, like you said, we need to know what the plan is because we can't just keep being in this limbo and expect the performances to get better because they won't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Conte was quoted earlier in the week um, saying that he, he doesn't have the center backs to play a back four and, you know, but, but would maybe be open to even changing up his, his normal style and formation of playing a back three, buddy, you don't have the, the, the center backs to play a back three either. Like, I hate to break it to you. <laughs> like, but also like, I'll believe it when I see him making a formation change. <laughs> that, that is, that is a very fair point as well. Like I, I can't, I cannot imagine. Um, I just, I just, I can't fathom him making an actual change either. So uh, it's, it's really baffling to me. We've got a late comer to the podcast, but I, I welcome him because we love him and you know him and you love him. Todd has joined us uh, at TC underscore show on your socials. Todd, what's going on with you, man? You know, any day that you get together with uh, with your mates and um, commiserate about your motherfucking football team uh, is a good fucking day. It's good to see y'all. I'm glad to glad to be able to to share some what the fucks with you guys out there uh, in podcast land because plenty to go around after that second half today. Andrew. So Caroline have already, you know, Caroline and I have already, you know, shared our thoughts and our feelings on, on the, like you said, the, what the fuck of it all, uh, before we get to talking a little bit more about some of these things, I think what I, I want to know what yours were, because this was roller coaster FC. Like, uh, I'm going to say three things. The first thing that I'm going to say is Pep didn't start a strongest team. And everybody knows that. Second thing that I'm going to say is the first half was our first 11 beating Pep's rotated side. The second thing that I will say is um, individual errors FC is something that we are, and it's the same players, and it's been the same players for the last three years, five years, eight years, if you ask Pochettino. Um, and we're still asking the same questions. Why are they trotting them out there every week? We, I shared the Danny Rose fucking clip on in the chat this week and on socials this week saying, well, was Danny Rose actually right? Because the same fucking defenders are shit every week and they trot out there every fucking week and they're shit every fucking week. 
Um, and then the second half happened. And, um, well, cheers to Danny Rose. You know, the first 30 minutes of this podcast, we had not met our fuck quota. And we we got it now that you're here. And I appreciate that. Um, you know, what's funny. Would you, would you, would you first off? would you expect anything less I, I wouldn't and I, that's why i said i appreciate it you know it's funny Here's you bring you. up you bring up the fact that that spurs were beating pep's rotated side pep's rotated side still beats Spurs. i mean he didn't make a sub until the 81st minute it was still his his rotated side and they you know they had <coughs> a 3-2 lead already so like it wasn't even well, it wasn't even the me, fact that, that those guys about were that 3-2 lead well, I think that it was in terms of why we were able to get the upper hand in the first half, and I don't think that anybody can say any different. Um, well, why I, we, I think why, it was why, against why, the run of play is what it was. Well, and that happens against a rotated side is what I'm saying. There's miscommunication, individual errors, and I think that if you look back, and we're not looking at that, we're looking at, at, at Decky getting on the score sheet and um, your favorite player in the entire world being able to find the back of the net. Um, but... Uh, I, I, and I think that if you look at it from a Man City side, you can find the individual errors for them. I think what happened at halftime is Pep went in and did what Pep does, which is tighten it the fuck up and find our weaknesses, of which there are many. And he walked out and we have exploitable weaknesses <clears throat> in our team. And when you have a half a football to analyze, they're very easy to see. And I think that that's exactly what we saw in the second half. I'm really glad you bring up Pep Guardiola because after the match, he spoke with Sky Sports and they obviously broadcasted it here uh, in the United States on NBC, on Peacock, on whatever it was. Um, yeah. And he he gave one of the more interesting Pep Guardiola four or five minute interviews because he absolutely ripped his team a new asshole this entire time. And honestly looked fed up and looked over it and looked and, and, and sent, sent a message verbally to his players. I mean, they went back to the desk with, you know, Rebecca Lowe and friends and, and the Robbies and Tim Howard. And um, I don't even they had someone else on, on, on the set with them today too. I don't even remember who it was, but I, they had the crew there and they were all baffled at what they had just heard from Pep Guardiola. He, he questioned his team's fire. He said that they've, they've been too used to winning for too long. They don't want it anymore. He questioned his own club's fans, how they weren't really into it. I mean, it was very, it was very wild to me. And I sat there watching it and I was entertained oh, by it. God dang it. All right. Go ahead. I, I was entertained by it because it was entertaining. It was a, it was an interesting banter with, with the reporter and forgive me. I don't, I don't know who the, who the presenter was for Sky. It Sports, doesn't matter but, their shit. Well, it, it doesn't matter because this, what this did for me was it showed me the difference between a club like Manchester city and let's put all of the financials aside, but a club with the desire that Manchester city has that, he thinks that they're miles off of it, miles off of it, and they won a match for two, coming from two nil down behind. Okay, but all right, can can we stop acting as though that this is revolutionary? This is this is the page out of a Belichick book, out of a Jose Mourinho book. It out, is out of, out of a. I mean, this is out of a Phil Jackson book. I think they got it. I I don't know where they got it from. I don't know where the genesis was, but rip a team. That show that was lackluster in the first half, 
and you broke your foot off in their ass at halftime and they came out and kicked the shit out of the team in the second half and you got the win that you should have got the whole time. And then you give it to them in the media afterwards and let them know how frustrated you are. Why? Because you're a perennial winner and you're trying to make a title charge and you realize exactly how ripe for the picking Arsenal are. I think it was a brilliant move by Pep Guardiola. And I think that it shows the exact um, difference in state of project that Man City are in versus where Tottenham are. And I think winning goes a long way to, to, to have that conversation. Oh, that and a trillion dollars. But that's a different conversation. Well, I'll, I'll just say that as a fan, I would rather be hearing Pep's speech from my manager than hearing Conte's which I will fully admit I did not listen to because I cannot listen to Conte's post games anymore. <laughs> I just, I'm fed up with them, but it was actually what you want to hear in the situation, but I, appreciate my point is, yes, you, you want to hear that even, even after a, a result that there's still a demand for the performances to improve and keep improving and, you know, to do better. And I would much prefer hearing that than what we actually get from Conte, which is this like constant, game of chicken between him and the board over spending. I'm like, just get it done on the pitch. Like get something done. <laughs> there was less, I think there was less of a, a game of chicken being played by Conte in his post-match comments after city in terms of, of, of spending and finances. But at the same time, I, I get what you're saying. It does always seem like he's almost afraid to say what he really thinks. And I would rather he just say it. Todd, to, to your point, you're exactly right about what what Guardiola did. Like, th like this is this is just Pep trying to kick his team on to chase Arsenal, which they have every right and chance to do. And I think for a moment there, you know, I was making jokes about Spurs like committing to the bit of hating Arsenal so much that they'll blow a two nil halftime lead just so City can maybe <laughs> have a better chance. But it's what you get. But truly, that's what cities, that's what it is for City now. Like City's challenge now to keep this thing going that they've been doing for, for how many years is to chase down Arsenal. And that was Pep's like Yeah. He, he might he might have he might have broke a foot off in their ass at halftime. He also did it post match for the rest of the season. Like this is their sure, this is their halftime of the season pep talk. Which is fine. And in, in one of his playmakers is Jack Grealish, who's a giant fucking child, and we all know this. It's it's fine. Like all, all of this is fine. Like fuck Man City, Andrew. Like don't give a shit about those guys. But like, to the point you made but, earlier, Todd, to the point you made earlier, there was no Kevin De Bruyne on the pitch today. There was no Phil Foden. You know, there was, there was no Juan no, Cancelo. There was no Cancelo. You know, they 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 were able to sit so many key guys today and they play again, you know, on Sunday. So with 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 one day less rest than Spurs will even get before Spurs play Fulham on Monday, we're able to rest some guys and still get not an easy win. Don't don't get me wrong; like they had to work for it. But in the second half, it didn't really seem like they had to work for it all that much. Am I right? Listen, I I I, I don't know. They're fine. They'll figure it the fuck out. It's I know this is not a people in the world. I don't I don't, I don't give a fuck but, about them. Like like listen. What happened in the second half is what happens all the fucking time. It's what happens all the time at Tottenham Hotspur, which is individual errors and me looking at the number fucking 15 as a stupid, the back of the number 15 is a stupid goal goes in the back of the net. And it happens on a consistent basis every single fucking week. 
there's a frame of Eric Dyer with his shoulder slumped watching the ball go in the back of the net. I'm not going to pin it on one person. But what I am going to say is that when you have someone who is in the center of everything and that person um, is deficient at their job, it's going to look bad all the time. And that's where we are. The one thing I would say to that is that you don't see managers like Deserby, Eddie Howe, et cetera, Thomas Frank. They, they don't make excuses and they find solutions. And I think that's, that's the main reason I'm so fed up with Conte at this moment is, you know, yeah, we know that some of the players in the squad are not necessarily good enough or consistent enough. But that's his job to make it work. Well, no, no, and no, no, I, no. I just hold on. I hate this on, attitude on. that it's like he's written off the season because that's how it feels to me. Yeah, Eric like Dyer's been, been here for Eric Dyer's been here for eight fucking years. Ben Davies has been here for seven years now. Don't get me wrong. Conte did some magic shit with Davies last year, leading up to the World Cup. He got injured. He's battled back. It's what it is. He's not right. his best. Whatever. He got more out Long of them. So why why Long is he late. not continuing to do that? Because they're okay. Because there is a ceiling, and we found it. And what I would say is that you can't look at Eric Dyer. That we saw last season. You can't look at – well, no, because Ben Davies isn't playing at the level that he was playing last season to make up for Eric Dyer being a deficient center back. Someone who, I'm sorry, as much as we want to slate Hugo for his decline – to not do the same for Eric Dyer is myopic because it's evident and it's been evident for a while. And yes, his fitness has gotten better. And yes, he started the season well and he's played well in spurts, but he's shit in the air. He can't finish a fucking header and he consistently gets beat ball watching when he should be the second man help. That's not a move that you see Cody Romero make he doesn't get beat the same way Eric Dyer gets beat it's just not good enough anymore and we need to address that specifically and we haven't and until we do I hear you. it's a problem yeah I hear you it's it's just that even Romero has not been up to his standard so yeah, I'm like this is a systemic problem across the squad it's not just one player you know I don't disagree I don't disagree that Romero has not been up to Romero's standard, but I'm going to give him more of a pass than I'm going to give Eric Dyer. Why? Because, I don't know, he won a fucking World Cup, and he's 24 years old, and he's got a tiny baby. Right? Yeah, I, I, I so I, those aren't the reasons that I would give These Romero. Are I, I, they are. They're not the reasons that I give Romero more of a pass. The reason I give Romero more of a pass is because he's been here for a much shorter period of time, and he's he's got he's got more of an ability to prove something to me as a Spurs player. I don't look good for him that he won a world cup. He won a world cup for Argentina, not for Tottenham Hotspur. Um, I, I don't, I don't give a shit about that. Like good. Like no, I said, but good I mean, for you, him. You kind of need to, you kind of need to, and the, no, no, you need to. And why? the reason why is the same reason why you need to like give Sonny a little bit of a pass for the shitty season that he's having because he essentially put an entire country on his back during the off season. Okay. Well, we talked. Yeah, and, we, and we, talk, and we talked about that a little bit earlier before you jumped on during Tad, the World and, Cup. Yeah. I, I, so give me the same pass for a 24 year old kid who has a, a a baby who's under a year old, 
who just reached the pinnacle of football. Sonny gets a pass because he's built up that reputation with this club. Romero has not done that for me. Romero has not done anything for me as a member of Tottenham Hotspur other than have a good start to his Tottenham Hotspur career. But then since that good start has had injury issues, which I'm not blaming him for being injured. Don't get me wrong. So he doesn't but, have enough Spurs equity for you. Correct. And in, in order to give him that cash. In. And I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to frame it. Whereas, I disagree with whereas you, but I'm also like, going to look at him as a human. And no, of I course. Say, as a human, I have empathy for the fact that you just reached the pinnacle of football with your national team. And oh shit, you got to get back to work. I'm 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 not diminishing that. I'm not I'm not saying 100%. You're 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 100% right about that. But in the same way that I that 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 Romero doesn't have enough equity built up, Dyer and and Davis and fucking fucking I'm Sanchez. Sure. Sanchez uh Honestly, even to this point, almost a little bit of, of, of Emerson, like these guys have been here a little bit longer, I think. And like, I don't know. I just, Emerson obviously hasn't been here as long as those other guys. So I'm not going to throw him into that, but, but there are players on this team that have been here for, for, for long. And the equity is not worth anything anymore to me because they just, they haven't been good enough for long enough. So let me ask you this question. We have. Sergio Reggion, Giovanni Lo Celso, Tongi and Dombele. We have the rights to all of these players. Harry Winks. They're currently playing across the other five leagues in Europe. Okay. Why'd you and have to make qu- us feel worse, Todd? <laughs> what I'm, my question here is this. My question here is this. Is that, you know, there's some Conte out vibes going on there's there's definitely some player out vibes going on but my question is are we going to get to the point where we realize that the issues at Tottenham Monster are systemic and they uh, start at the top I don't disagree with you I I think it is a multitude of factors that are causing this complete just dumpster fire of a situation and I can still think I want Conte out. That that's not exclusive to recognizing that the board could do better, the players could do better, the well, fans could do better. It's I there's appre- a lot. <laughs> yeah, I I appreciate your position because like the body language isn't great, the optics aren't great. I get it. Who, who do you want instead? What do you, what is where is better going to come from? How is changing a manager going to fix it when they're still going to buy us four washing machines when we want a dryer? Like, I, 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 I can't look at you confidently and say that it's <clears throat> forget Nuno, um, that it's. Conte, who's won the Italian League, uh, Mourinho, who's won fucking everything, uh, Pochettino, who's won the French League. It's 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 all their faults, not ours. Well, I, I think it goes back to Todd something that I said a little bit earlier, and I, and I put it in the group chat earlier this week. I think this is a club that needs to have a manager that 
the where where the manager has to convince the club that he's the guy, not the other way around. Not where the club has to convince the manager that he can be the guy and that they can spend enough to satisfy him. No, 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 no. But see, here's my thing. When we were at old Whitehart Lane and we were still in in the shitty training ground, like, yeah, you could say that. But like, we're not like you, you can't operate like that when you're the ninth most profitable football team in the whole fucking world. And you have the greatest stadium in England and you have the best training facilities in Europe. You can't fucking operate like, oh, well, we need a manager that really needs to be the, 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 the prove it to us guy. No, you need to operate like a fucking big fucking footballing entity. Oh, wait a second. You have the, be- the best striker in Europe. You have one of the best managers in Europe. You have the Asian footballer of the year. You have all of these pieces and you're fucking it up because you're still trying to run it like a small minded football club. And I can't get past that. So my thing is that I just don't think it has to be a binary question from a fan perspective. Like I can want the board to change their ways, which I do. And I also want a different manager. Like, I don't think they have to be two different things that you can want. Um, I agree. They can be to me, to me, the ideal, the ideal scenario is that we get in a manager who is a better cultural fit for the club. Who's going to, play a style of football that fans actually want to watch so that the fans are excited again and that the board will finally then, you know, provide the resources that this potential manager needs. I, I'm, I'm going to push back against you a little bit there. Which is really I idealistic, think, but I'm an idealistic person. So it, it is, but listen, they, they, they have <laughs> for periods of time played a style of football that is appealing to the fans. I mean, Look but very rarely under Conte. I'm just going to say it. God damn it. Like, when they do it, it right, been... it looks beautiful, but they continue to fuck it up. They're playing Rondo in the middle of the pitch, Kaz. I mean, look what they did against Palace a few weeks ago. That's that's kind of what we're talking about here. Like, they they have the capability to rip apart any... And, and let's be honest with ourselves. Selhurst Park has not been a place where Spurs have gone and, and thrived in recent years. And they went and ripped apart Palace in a 4-0 game where it looked fantastic. It looked beautiful. And we're talking just a few weeks back. Like, that, 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 that's not... I know. They have that ability. It's not sustainable <laughs> is the problem. It's not like Conte's methods are not sustainable with the squad that we have. Now, is it Conte's methods are not sustainable, or is yes, it because the he doesn't players, change them, Todd. He doesn't or is change it the them. Players' play is not sustainable, and that's what I'm coming up against. Is that I feel like our best eleven has not played together enough for them to find the type of continuity that you need in order to run an automation-based system like Conte's. And I don't think we can overlook that, Kaz. Well, and I think part of that has to do with injury as well, like. This this club, hundred percent. This club has not had, but <laughs> I'll go back to something I said in preseason. You have to. They had to prepare for that, and I don't think they did it sufficiently. They they spent one hundred and thirty million pounds or whatever it was on what five players, but really only two of them who are massive contributors. Or I wouldn't even say massive contributors. I would just say contributors or guys that you hope to be contributors in terms of Basuma Perisic, they spent all that money on Romero who was already here, you know, like the, the other one was Udogi who isn't here and, and Richarlison. 
And well, yeah, and Richarlison, but he's but again, when you spend that much money and are not getting the return the, the the ROI that you would want, that's a problem. And they did not prepare for a player like Richarlison to get hurt for as long as he did. A player well, like if you were Romero if you have a short-term get- investing strategy, you're absolutely correct. But when I look at the way they Paratici put together this squad and, and spent that money this summer, it looked like a long-term investment strategy to me more than a short-term one. So I'm the jury's still out for me as to whether or not that money's well spent. I feel pretty good about the prospects of it being a quality long-term investment, Andrew. I, I disagree. I don't think we I, I think saw it, it that out. way. Like yeah. when we talked about the transfer window earlier in the season, we we talked about quite a few of those moves being win now transfers. Players like Perisic who are going to bring necessary experience to get us to that next level and be more consistent about, you know, just grinding out results. And it has not worked out that way, obviously, but that, that was the perception at the time. Well, and, and like I said, you're talking about really it's three players. And if you want to include Romero in that as well, it's Richarlison, Perisic, Basuma, and then Romero that you spent that money on for the near term. You spent money on two players for the long term, one of which is with the club in Jed Spence, one of which is not in Destiny Odogi, who I mentioned earlier. I would love to see a day where those two are are bombing down the wings for, for Tottenham Hotspur in a back three under Antonio Conte. I just don't know that we're going to get to that point, which is really disappointing and 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 kind of breaks my heart a little bit that that we we may not be able to see that. So I, I think they I think what they did was they tried they I think they half-assed two different things instead of whole assing one thing, if I may I, quote the great Ron Ron Swanson. I I don't know about that only because I think that you expected more out of Richie. I think you expected more out of Sassignon instead of Parisic. And those things haven't happened. So it's it's kind of tough. I also think you expected more out of Basuma. Well, he hasn't played Basuma in a formation that Basuma can play in. Basuma can't play in a two. He, he needs to play in a three, and he needs to be given more freedom to go forward, and he, he refuses to play a three because he, because he insists on having Hyungmin Sun on the pitch for every goddamn minute of, of every goddamn game. Like Even though the system doesn't get the best out of Sun by any stretch of the imagination. Not even a little Parisage, bit. One of our best players. Parisage and Sun play the same fucking spot, and that's the toughest thing about but that's because of the formation. That's because and, of the formation that he's playing, not because then, of, of anything that, that either of them are doing also, wrong. I disagree. I think that more than anything else, I think that Perisic doesn't know when he's in the final third. And that's really tough when Sun is one of the best left-wingers in the world. I don't know what else to say. It's a, it's a clusterfuck. That's what we can say. Um it's 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 really really quite quite disenchanting right now um we'll see what what comes about uh you know the reason this podcast is reaching your ears so early in the weekend is because obviously we wanted to get it out uh, a little earlier than usual and spurs play again on monday uh it's fulham it's a trip to craven cottage it's not going to be easy in my opinion uh for those who have not been paying enough attention fulham can pass Spurs with a victory in this match in on the table. They are right on Spurs heels in sixth position uh, on 31 points, Tottenham on 33. So this is a big game in the weirdest sense of the world. Um, 
and of the word rather uh this is this is massive and then next week is the fa cup uh, against preston north end so can't wait a lot a lot more to come uh about about a couple of weeks left in this transfer that's the other thing about the, the whole discussion about last summer's window and and what they prepared for coming into the season is that we, we're we're a few weeks into this window and with a few weeks of it left and they haven't done diddly poo in this window as of yet and i know people will say well that's not that's not how Daniel Levy does business. He'll he'll sign some players on January thirty first. Well, okay. If that if that happens, good for him. But it'd be nice to maybe have some deals lined up. You know, they had I think they had like a whole fucking month off in November and December. It's not like you couldn't have been calling some people and working some things out to maybe have some some pens and paper ready to go early in January. But no, we're 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 a few weeks in. We're three weeks into the the month now, and uh, nothing's come of it yet. So I'm not frustrated. Can you tell? It's okay. Spurs are back in action on Monday Usa. against Fulham, man. Oh, this this roller coaster ride. Uh, like I said, some people really enjoy roller. I really enjoy roller coasters. This one's making me want to vomit a little bit. Um, yeah, I felt that feeling very much this afternoon as well. Yeah, yeah. This was um, this was a this was a weird day. It was a weird one. So. Weird week. Uh, it, it, I, I would say it can only get better from here, but I think that's the last. That's the last thing I actually had on my list. And, and don't and fucking I'll just say that. Quickly. It could get worse. <laughs> yeah, don't fucking say that. Well, I'm let me, sorry. Here's what I'll say. The last thing that I had on my list of things I think uh, is that getting behind this team is actually really important. Like I, I know that sounds silly. But this is not a time like this is the reason that we all love this football club is because it brings us together, uh, whether it's to yell and scream about it on a podcast or whether it's to to, to, to join up with our mates at the pub and watch it or uh, whether it's to go to the games. If you if you are, are in London, uh, those are all still valid things. <laughs> and we can't we can't let our frustration with the way that it's going uh, get in the way of that and get in the way of supporting this club because we're all too used to the hard times and supporting them through it. And guess what? We're all still here listening to podcasts, talking on podcasts, sharing our, our thoughts on social media. Um, they're going to need it again. They're going to need that, that kind of unwavering support, the, the Tottenham till I die mentality uh, that we all kind of uh, are, are sickened with. So uh, let's I go do I that. Am, on, I'm sure. Yeah. Let's go do that on Monday against Fulham and, and hope for the best and, and, uh, hope for the best prepare for the worst that's what i always say right <laughs> should be fun <laughs> good strategy boys, todd, boys, can boys. Be, todd can be found at tc underscore show caroline is at cg stefko i am at a stetka most importantly follow us at tottenham depot let us know how you're feeling we'll we'll all be uh very very therapized by the end of this week we didn't even we didn't even get a chance to talk about the 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 action on the women's side uh, in the transfer market, we will get to that. I swear, we're not we're not short shrifting them. Um, we recorded this before their game this weekend, obviously. Uh, so we will talk all about all of that on the next edition. But um, it's just <laughs> there's so much going on on the men's side. It feels it feels like the sun. It feels like the sun swallowing planets right now, and I don't love it. So we will be back to talk about it next week. An exasperated bunch of us here at the Tottenham Depot, as always. Come on, you Spurs. Thank you so much for stopping by the Tottenham Depot. Thanks to Scott Bird for our intro music, as well as the tunes you are hearing right now. Thanks to Dakota Booth for our artwork. 
Thank you as well to our spouses who put up with our obsession with this football club and for all that they do. And thanks to you, the listener, for what really makes this happen. Supporters make this club, and you, the listener, are what make this podcast possible. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Tottenham Depot, and as always, come on, you Spurs.